the question that really comes to my mind is simply, why do we really think that the Buddha can help us understand our ecological crisis, given that he lived in a very different time and place, long ago, far away in Iron Age India, and he didn't really know anything about the kind of global warming that we're experiencing. He didn't know anything about uh, melting glaciers, melting Arctic Sea, melting tundra. For that matter, he didn't know anything about uh, carbon dioxide and its role in heating up the atmosphere or uh, methane gas doing the same sort of thing. So why do we look to the Buddha for help in this particular situation? Well, there's a number of answers that can be given, but I'm going to focus just on one of them because there's one thing that really sort of leaps out for me from the tradition. And it's the quite extraordinary parallel that I see, precise and I think profound parallels between what the Buddha taught about our personal predicament, our usual individual problem, dukkha and how to solve it, It's the parallel between that and our collective civilizational situation right now with regard to the biosphere. That was a very complicated sentence, wasn't it? Uh, what What I'm pointing at is this. I think that what the Buddha had to say about our problem and what we need to do about it, it's really very much the same problem that we face collectively in relationship to the biosphere, and so I'd like to spend the few minutes that I have just exploring that a little bit. In particular, I'm going to give you a one particular way of articulating what I think the Buddha was focusing on, and I want to emphasize the connection between dukkha, I think that's a term most of you are familiar with, dukkha, suffering in the broad sense, and our sense of separate self. For me, this is actually the most important teaching of the Buddha, that he sees that the normal sense of separate self, the feeling that I'm inside and the rest of you are outside, that we're separate from each other, that this is like the primary, one of the primary sources of our dukkha suffering. It's not just that it's a delusion, but that it's a delusion that causes us to suffer. In more contemporary language, we can say that the sense of the self is a psychological construct. And from this perspective, we can see that the Buddhist path is about deconstructing and reconstructing the sense of self. Moreover, this sense of self, because it's a construct, because it's not actually real, because it's inherently ungrounded, what it means is that this sense of self that we normally have feeling separate from others, is inherently uncomfortable, inherently insecure. Or, as I sometimes like to say, this sense of lack, sorry, this sense of self is haunted or shadowed by a sense of lack. That's how we normally become aware of it. It's the feeling that I think we all have. You know, we know that we have it ourselves. We're not aware that everyone else feels the same thing this feeling that we all have that something is wrong with me. Something is missing. Something isn't quite right. It's one of the great secrets of life, I think, that we all feel this, but we think it's our own problem. We're not aware that everyone else feels much the same thing. Where it gets tricky is that we misunderstand the problem 
we don't realize where it comes from, this inherently insecure self, right? And so we think we're, we're conditioned by our society. And so what is it that we lack? Well, we learn pretty quickly from our society. We don't have enough money, or we don't have enough consumer toys, or we're not famous enough, or we don't have a partner, or our partner isn't good enough, whatever. We end up always looking out here, trying to hold on to something that we hope will fill up this sense of emptiness, this sense of lack at our core. And of course, one of the essential Buddhist teachings is that you know, there's really nothing there that we can hold on to. Everything is insubstantial. And since the fundamental problem is really inside us, it means that anything we might be able to obtain out here, it's not going to satisfy us, right? It's a symptom. It means that no matter... If, if you understand your fundamental problem is that you don't have enough money, you're never going to have enough money, right? Because that's a really misunderstanding of what the root issue is. And so we can appreciate the Buddhist path from this perspective. And here I'm speaking out of my Zen experience. The Buddhist path is about learning to overcome this sense of separation. In Zen, we talk about letting go of the sense of self or forgetting the sense of self. So the Japanese Zen master Dogen talked about to study Buddhism is to study yourself. To study yourself is to forget yourself. And to forget yourself is to realize your intimacy, your oneness with all things. He also described his own experience after his awakening when he said he came to realize that his mind, you know, it it wasn't something in here, that his mind was nothing other than rivers and mountains and the great white earth, the sun and the moon and the stars. In other words, realizing that, you know, I'm not in here, I'm one of the ways in which all of this, all of you, it's, it's one of the ways that all of us come together. And that's true for, for all of us, right? One of the ways, all the causes and conditions. So overcoming the sense of separation, overcoming the feeling that there's a me inside. And I think we can see how this empowers what is sometimes called the bodhisattva path. Nisargadatta summarized this very well when he said, when I look inside and see that I am nothing, that's wisdom. When I look outside and see that I am everything, that's love. Between these two, my life turns. Wisdom and compassion, the two pillars of the Dharma. So as we begin to wake up and we'll realize that we're not separate from each other, we're not separate from the world, then we also begin to act in a way that response to that. We begin to realize that I can't separate my own well-being from yours. And we learn to live in a way that acknowledges and embraces that and works for the well-being of everyone. I hope that makes some sense. It's a very potted version of this particular way of understanding the Buddha Dharma on the individual level. What I want to emphasize now is that everything I've just said on the individual level, I think it also applies collectively. This is exactly the same situation we're in now in relationship to the earth. Except it's not the issue of an individual construction, but rather we have together as a species, we have the sense of separation, sense of alienation from the rest of the earth. And we don't have time to go into the historical details, but 
collectively we feel this. We feel separate. We feel that the earth is something we can exploit and use and abuse in whatever way to satisfy our own needs and wants. But we don't feel a sense of responsibility or obligation because it's just there. It's not us. It's like a, a convenience store for us to draw from. But the other side of that is, again, a collective sense of alienation that I think we as a civilization have. We're not sure what it means to be human. We're not sure what it means for us as a society, what we should value, where we should be going. And I think the comparable problem that occurs, just as individually we look out here and we try to grab something that we can hold on to, some security. So I think the collective version of it has become our kind of industrial growth society, this preoccupation with never-ending, increasing technological development, increasing industrial economic growth, which in themselves could be very, very valuable as means. In other words, there's something important there that we could This gives us the ability to do things. But what's really happened, I think, because we don't know what else to value, because we don't know where else to go, in a way, we're stuck on the means. We have made the means into the end. So technological development in itself, economic development in itself, that becomes the whole meaning and the goal of our collective life. And yet we can also sense that there's something really inadequate about that. And so the parallel, I think, holds. We're still preoccupied with trying to secure and trying to control ourselves. And what we really need to do from this perspective is to begin to wake up, to begin to overcome this sense of separation that we feel between ourselves and the rest of the world and realize then the process. You know, Just as I, as an individual, if I start to wake up and I realize that my well-being isn't separate from your well-being, and if I'm concerned to follow a kind of bodhisattva path so that I want to live in a way that asks, you know, not what's in it for me, but what can I do to make this situation better? So the same thing is true. It's, I think it's become clear that at this point, we as a species need to wake up. The ecological crisis is also a spiritual crisis. The earth is really calling upon all of us to wake up and, or get out of the way. And what that wake up involves is realizing that we cannot separate our own well-being from the well-being of the whole. In this case, to wake up, to experience our non-duality with the earth, not only our source, not only our... Uh, not just our home, but our mother, a mother from whom we never really cut the umbilical cord. As we begin to wake up to this, then we realize that, again, we can't separate our own well-being from its well-being. And I think this is the kind of understanding that we're reaching toward and that we're moving toward realizing that the meaning of human life, especially at this particular point in history, is really going to have to be acknowledging and living in a way that sees our task in life as the well-being of the whole earth. I think this is the answer to this larger question. What is the meaning of human life? The meaning of human life is to realize the whole earth is our body 
and that we have this bodhisattva responsibility to work for its well-being. And if we do that, then I think we can see that the process of healing that will occur will also transform us as much as the planet. I've given you a lot of heavy-duty concepts in a very quick way. I just want to finish with a few lines, if I can find it quickly enough. A few lines by the, um, well, not a Buddhist poet, Rumi, who I thought described this so well, from a poem he wrote called The Worm's Waking. This is how a human being can change. There's a worm that's addicted to eating grape leaves. Suddenly, he wakes up. Call it grace, whatever, something wakes him. And now he's no longer a worm. He's the entire vineyard and the orchard too. The fruit, the trunks, a growing wisdom and joy that doesn't need to devour. He doesn't become the vineyard. He realizes that he's always been the vineyard, and that's our task. We don't need to become part of the earth, but to realize that we've never been apart from it. And I think I've used up my time. Thank you very much.